Today is the first day of Advent, so uh, here at City Church we, we do a couple of things to kind of help prepare our hearts and engage our hearts, and not only reflecting on Christ's first uh, Advent, His first appearing, but also to prepare our hearts for the second Advent, when Christ will, will come again, and every eye will see Him. And so during this Christmas season, it's easy to get distracted by all the fun festivities and all the fun activities and, and the gifts and the, and the warm drinks and the snacks. And, and I love those. Enjoy those for the glory of God. But in all the festivities and all the fun and all the family gatherings, let's not miss the reason for the season. Let's, let's set our hearts upon Jesus and what he came to do in this world, the, to bring rescue, to bring salvation. And let us be a people who are prepared and ready for his second advent, helping others to prepare for his second coming. Amen? Amen. You know, this time of year, a lot of people are hurting. You know, the holiday season has a way of magnifying hurts, broken relationships, family relationships, uh, those who don't have family. Uh, it has a way of bringing to remembrance the, the loss of loved ones that, that, that we miss. It has a way of magnifying and highlighting the broken relationships that we no longer may enjoy. Uh, and, and many people are depressed and discouraged and hurting, while others are just having a great time, enjoying family and the gift of the gift of life and all the graces that God sends their way. And so this is an opportunity for us to shine bright, to shine bright as lights in the world, okay? And so I want to exhort you to do that. And so let me, let me dig in here. We're going to start, we're continuing continue our series on First Thessalonians that we've called Living in the Light of the Gospel. And so we have one more week planned for this, and then we'll go into some Advent messages, specifically Advent, that are focused on Christ and His, his coming. Um, but, but I tried to overlap these a little bit, because First Thessalonians really sets us up for the, for the first Sunday of Advent, with, with this emphasis on hope of Christ's return. It really helps... Helps us engage our hearts specifically uh, in, in putting our hope in Christ and His return. And this morning, I want to share with you guys a message titled, Encourage One Another. Encourage One Another. A handful of times in this letter, he mentions the word encourage. And here he mentions it twice in this passage we're going to look at today. And he specifically exhorts the Thessalonians to encourage one another. Before we look at the text, I want to ask you, when was the last time you were really in need of encouragement and, and through a gathering or a connection, a meeting with another believer, God just met you with the encouragement that you needed, the comfort, the hope, the sharpening, the stirring, the, the comfort of love. That you needed from being around another brother or sister in Christ. And just think about how sweet that was for God to meet you through the love and encouragement of another brother or sister in Christ. 
And when was the last time that you intentionally were in a conversation, a meeting with another brother or sister, and you were intentionally thinking about how can I encourage my brother or sister today? And listening attentively and sensitively to, to where they were at and what they were going through. And, and you were in tune uh, and, and yielded to the Spirit to, to try to encourage your brother or sister. Today, the, the emphasis that we're going to look at is encourage one another. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this We declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive. We who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now ignore the chapter division because originally they weren't there and sometimes sometimes they're not helpful to us. Now concerning the times and the, and the seasons, brothers... You have no need to have any, anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, and let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of of faith and love. And for a helmet of the hope of salvation, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. So that whether we are awake or asleep, we might have, that we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. Just as you are doing. This is the word of the Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. And so let me pray. Father, as we look at this text, would you, the God of hope, fill us this morning with a biblical hope? 
an eager expectation, a confidence that you will fulfill what you said, what you promised. And would you move us, move us to live lives that are set apart for you, move us to live lives of love, move us. To make the most of the time that we have. To let our light shine. To redeem the time. As long as we're here. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So here's our big idea from the text this morning. The gospel gives us hope and encouragement. In the face of grief, death, and adversity. And it is the source that we draw from. It's to, to encourage and comfort others. The gospel gives us hope and encouragement in the face of grief, death, and adversity. And it is the source that we draw from to encourage and comfort others. Does anybody need to be encouraged today? Okay. Well, what does it mean? Let's look at what does it mean, first of all, to encourage. This word, uh, encourage, the Greek word translated encourage means, uh, is is used 109 times in the New Testament. And and Mount defines it as this, to to call for, to invite, to come, to send for, to call upon, to exhort, to admonish, to persuade, to beg, to beseech, to entreat, to implore, to animate, to to encourage, to, to comfort, to console, to be cheered and comforted. To ask, comfort, exhort, implore, summon. And so, I don't know if that's helpful for you, but I, maybe this will be. Um, blog, uh, Marshall Siegel from Desiring God, a blog, blogger, wrote a great blog post on encouragement. He describes encouragement as this. To encourage is to give courage. I mean, just think about the word encouragement for a second. Encourage. To, to put courage in. Like we have the capacity, we have the ability with our words to download courage into others through the things that we say. Isn't that neat? And we all need that. Because we live in fearful times, uncertain times, challenging times. Right? And this is what leaders do. This is what Christians do. This is what the Apostle Paul is calling all Christians to do. Specifically the Thessalonians here. And this is what he was doing. He was modeling that, and he was calling them to do that. So to encourage means to, to, it's to give courage, not simply to console or compliment someone, and certainly not to flatter. Flattery is, is insincere comments. Okay? Not insincere comments. All right? Which, which has a hook back to itself. I want you to like me. I want something from you. And so insincere comments are made. It's not that. But to strengthen a heart for risk or adversity. Every Christian needs a steady stream of courage to endure suffering, to reject temptation, to sacrifice in love, to embrace discipline, to persevere in ministry, to trust and obey God. Encouragement sought to compel them out of a spiritual sluggishness and complacency into a glad and disciplined faithfulness. While encouragement comes to console and strengthen those who are grieving, it strives to light a fire under sleepy souls. Amen? Amen. And so in the Bible, God is called the God of encouragement. 
In Romans chapter 15, the Apostle Paul describes God as the God of all encouragement. He says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accordance with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In 2 Thessalonians, he says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us, and he gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and every good word. And he also says, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort that we, with which we ourselves are comforted by God. That God wants us to be conduits of His comfort and His encouragement to others. With the comfort that we've received from Him through our difficult times. He's called the God of encouragement. Marshall Siegel mentions three aspects of encouragement in his blog article. He says, first of all, to, to comfort the sorrowful, okay, which was which was what Paul was doing. He told the Thessalonians, I don't want you to grieve as someone who grieves without hope. Because as believers in Christ, we have this living hope inside of us. And I'll talk a little bit more about grief here in just a moment. But another aspect of it is to awaken the idol. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, which we'll look at next week, Lord willing, he says, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idol, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Admonish the idol. Okay? So encouragement has that aspect to it of admonishing. Okay? Of urging. And, and particularly, so these Thessalonians... We're, um, actually, I'll get to that in just a moment. And lastly, for, uh, it has an aspect of fortifying the faint-hearted. We urge you, brothers, to encourage the faint-hearted. Encourage the faint-hearted. Isaiah 35 says, Say to those who are anxious or faint-hearted, Be strong. Be strong. Behold, your God will come. And He will save you. And so encouragement does that. It puts courage. It fortifies the faint-hearted, the anxious, the fearful. It awakens the idle. It comforts the sorrowful. Now Paul says in verse 13 and 14 that he didn't want he didn't want the Thessalonians to be uninformed. He didn't want them to be ignorant so that they would grieve like those who don't have hope. Okay? He didn't want grief to, to paralyze them, to overtake them, to, to keep them from, from, from moving forward in mission and, and, and living out the gospel, living in light of the gospel. And now, let me make it clear here, Paul is not prohibiting grief. Grief is a part of the human experience that we all have in a post-Genesis 3 world, a fallen world broken world where there is sickness 
where there is death, where there is injustice, where there is war, where there's all kinds of terrible, dark things that happen in this world. And it is appropriate for us to grieve. Healthy human beings grieve. Because we ache and we hurt and we long for. We don't, but we don't just grieve. We don't grieve without hope. We grieve in hope. We grieve aching and longing for the day when redemption comes. Romans 8. When the redemption of our bodies comes. Where, the, the, where all things are made new. And so we grieve with hope. And so, so a part of this grief here... Had, Theologians speculate that it probably has to do with these Thessalonians who were grieving over lost loved ones who thought that maybe uh, maybe these believers who died aren't going to make it since they died before Jesus came back. What's going what's gonna to happen to our loved ones? And so they were distraught. They were grieving. And, 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 and perhaps many of them were uninformed. Now remember the Apostle Paul had a real short stint there in Thessalonica because of persecution. And so he didn't get, he didn't get a super long time. He had a, a, roughly a month with these disciples. And there was still some more explaining that need to, needed to occur. Misinformation or misunderstanding often leads to anxiety and, and to unnecessary uh, grief. It leads to extremes. It leads to, 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 to those being uh, unnecessarily anxious and paralyzed with fear or, or, just, or just paralyzed with sorrow and despair. And the gospel addresses our fears and it addresses our pain and our sorrow. We don't have to ignore it and act like everything is okay in the world when the, when the world's not okay. But we can still say, it is well with my soul, because we belong to the Lord. And this world is not our home. And we're setting our sights on that day when Jesus will come and make all things new. As one writer, J.R. Tolkien, says, everything sad will become untrue. Is everything sad going to become untrue? And so we long for that day. And so it's appropriate for us to grieve as we see loss of life around us. But we grieve with hope. You see, before I was a Christian, I didn't know how to do this. I just stuffed pain. When my father died when I was 15 and when my brother died when I was 13. I pain and I just stuffed it and I turned to alcohol and drugs to just numb the pain, numb the emotions. Just don't think about it. Don't talk about it. Don't, don't allow yourself to feel. Just numb yourself. And that's not healthy and that's not what Christians are to do. We are, we are to grieve, but we're to grieve with hope. We're to be comforted by that. So Paul gives us, gives us five ways to encourage one another. He does it himself. First of all, we're to encourage one another with Christ's return. Jesus is coming back. Okay? The world is not like it's supposed to be. It's broken. It's fallen. We've rebelled against God. And Jesus is going to come back and make all things new. He's going to make things right. 
The things that cause our hearts to ache. The things that, that bring tears and pain and discouragement and despair that we see that's just not right. The abuse. The injustice. The sickness. I mean, we got a report right now. There's this, this other variant of the virus coming around, the, go, spreading across the world. It's not supposed to be like this. And so we're reminded over and over, this world is not our home. It's fallen. It's broken. We have a home where, that, 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 where there will be no more sickness. Hallelujah. No more sorrow. Yeah. And so the Apostle Paul, in verse 16, he reminds the Thessalonians that the Lord himself will descend from heaven. He's coming back. He's coming back. This is important that we have this worldview, that we have this framework as we look at the world, as we answer the questions internally and, and, and process it ourselves and help others to process. We need a, we need a biblical worldview, like how did we get here and, and where's God in all this? And as I've said over and over, that, that, that we look at creation, the, the, the three or four C's, that, that creation was good. God made everything good. And in Genesis 3, we see that mankind rebelled and creation got corrupted. And sickness and death and suffering entered into the world. And then we, we look at the cross. Jesus stepped into our suffering. He stepped into our pain and he experienced the weight of our sin, the pain of our sin upon himself internally and externally. He bore the pain of our sin. And we look to not only creation, corruption, the cross, but we look to the second coming of Jesus when he comes back. Right? And so we make sense of this world around us through that biblical lens, that biblical worldview that it's not always going to be like this. And we long for Jesus to come back. We pray. We not only long for it, not only look for it, but we are to be those who love His appearing. Alright? Now, if, if the second coming of Jesus stirs some kind of anxiety inside of you, something's not right. Something's not right. That, that should give joy. That should give confidence. That should motivate us. That should comfort us and encourage us. Now, these, these Thessalonians, perhaps they felt some, some grief and, and some anxiety. Well, perhaps they felt that because uh, they were uninformed about their loved ones who died. And Paul reassures them. They're going to be with the Lord. We're all going to be together. It's, it's, it's okay. You don't have to grieve as those without hope. And, and it shouldn't lead to idleness either. There seemed to be some in the, the Thessalonian church that had applied what Paul had taught about this to, to live idle lives. Well, Jesus is coming back. I don't need to work. I mean, Paul, several in several verses, he addresses it. First and second Thessalonians. And so Paul, Paul instructs them, instructs the Thessalonians to work, to mind your own business, to work with your hands. Uh, if, you, if a man doesn't work, a man doesn't eat. Right? And so, so Paul gives some really practical instructions. Here how, here's how you live in light of the gospel. You work hard. Okay? You don't just check out on your job. Well, Jesus is coming back. I'm going to just forget this job. I didn't like it anyways. All right, we don't use that as an excuse for idleness or laziness. We work hard as unto the Lord, and we're going to be working. We want to be working hard 
doing the will of the Lord, doing the work of the Lord until Jesus returns. That's how we apply this. Not with idleness, not with anxiety, and not with grief that, that, that lacks hope. We apply this reality that, that Jesus is coming back by having confidence. By having comfort and confidence in the face of death, adversity, pain, and sickness, and all the craziness that's going on in the world. And so as Paul was unpacking this, he, he mentions these things. He says, encourage one another with these words. The next thing is that we are to encourage one another with the hope of the resurrection. The hope of the resurrection. The return of Jesus. He's coming back. And when he comes back, the dead are going to rise. We're going to be resurrected. He says, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. In verse 16b, he says, and the dead in Christ will rise first. If you, if, if he was telling the Thessalonians that, you know, those family members, those friends who, who died before you, they're going to rise too. They're going to rise first. They're going to, they're going to be raised up too. They're not going to miss out on the resurrection. Okay. Because you, you died before Jesus' second coming. And so this should be an encouragement to us. This should be an, especially those of us who are older and our bodies are falling apart. Stuff, stuff isn't working like it once did. And, and you don't have as much hair as you had. and You can't hear as well as, as you once did or see as well as you once did. you got some aches and pains. You're not as flexible as, as you used to be. Ah. You know, over Thanksgiving, we had a, a, my, my three-year-old son was, was putting his, his foot up to his mouth. And we, we kind of... Uh, my my in laws said, "Let's see, let's see who can still do that." <laughs> and so we all try. Like, who still has the flex? At what age do you lose that flexibility to put your foot all the way up to your face? Right? You just you lose some flexibility and you get some aches and pains, and, and it's a reminder. It's a reminder that this. This world is not our home. We're looking to a day when Jesus will come back and the dead will be rise and we will get new bodies. Hallelujah. Glorified bodies. No disease, no decay, no dandruff. All right? No more pain, no more sickness. We won't have any handicaps physically. We'll be fully alive and we'll enjoy eternity like that. And so this should inspire hope. This should encourage us. It's very discouraging when you start reflecting on the brokenness of this world and the brokenness of your own body. Your mental capacities, your physical capacities. It can be very discouraging. But how encouraging it is when we think about the good news of the resurrection. That death couldn't hold Jesus down. That Jesus conquered death. And what that means for us is that we will rise too. That we will, will be, have these glorified bodies as well. And so this is core to the gospel message. This is core to the hope of every Christian. Okay, We don't have to be like those in other religions like, like Islam. 
that, that I've talked to, to many Muslims over the years, and, and as, I've, as I've asked them about assurance of salvation, it's kind of like, well, just hopefully we'll be okay. Kind of a, a wishful, like, hopefully Allah will be merciful to us. But for the Christian, it's, we don't have the, our hope isn't like that. It's not just this wishful, it's, it's, it's confident expectation, it's assurance. We know that we are saved. First John says, I've written these things to you that you may know, you who believe in Jesus Christ, that you may know that you have eternal life. Okay? There's this confidence that we have, there's this knowing. In the core of our being, the Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And the Holy Spirit points us to these promises in Scripture that, that just infuse us with hope and encouragement. And the Gospel is the source of that. And so we have the hope of resurrection. Encourage one another with these words. You're going to rise again. This isn't it. There's more. There's more. And so we live differently as Christians because there's more. Also, Paul encouraged the, the Thessalonians with the hope of the rapture. Okay? He says in verse 17, Now this word rapture is not found in the Bible. It's kind of like the word trinity. It's not found in the Bible. But its doctrine, its teaching is found in the Bible. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The trinity. It's God is 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 um, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? And the rapture, this is the, the, uh, an explicit des- description of it. So, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And so the word rapture comes from the Latin word raptu, raptu, um, which means to, to snatch up or to cease, right? Or to here it's it's caught up, will be caught up. Like we're going to be beamed up or, you know, if you will, when Jesus comes back and we're going to see him. We're going to be caught up to be with the Lord. Now theologians debate about whether this occurs before the Great Tribulation or after. Um, and we're not going to do that this morning. Um, and, but I will tell you that I, I land on the side of uh, post-tribulation when it comes to this. But nevertheless, we know that whether, whether you're pre-trib or post-trib, we know that when Jesus returns, we're going to see him. And we know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That, that when we die, we're going to see Jesus, that we all have an appointment that we're not going to miss. It's appointed for man once to die. And after that comes the judgment, right? We're not going to miss that appointment. I don't care how late you are to your appointments, how how tardy you are. There's an appointment that we're not going to miss. It's the appointment of death. And those of us who are Christians will be resurrected and we, we will be caught up to meet Jesus and we will see Jesus Face to face. Now just think about this for a moment. Think about standing before Jesus. Okay? Think about the the, the moment that you are right before Jesus, your Lord and your Savior. What kind of, maybe you need to close your eyes and do this. What kind of feelings do you have as you think about looking at Jesus face to face? 
How, how should that affect the way that you're using your time and your resources? What needs to change in your thinking, your acting, your conduct, your conversations? As you think about seeing Jesus, I want to hear those words from him, well done, good and faithful servant. When, when I'm before Jesus, I want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And so, saints, we're going to be caught up together with Jesus in the clouds, in the air. And lastly, or not lastly, but number four, encourage one another with the hope of, of a reunion. So we will always be with the Lord. Now, it's not just us, but the rest of the saints. Those who've gone before us and who have died, they're going to be resurrected. They're going to have new life as well. And we together are going to be with the Lord. There's going to be a great reunion. When was the last time you saw a family member that you hadn't seen in a long time and you were able to catch up maybe over this past Thanksgiving? And it was so refreshing and such a joy and such a delight to see them enjoy their company Enjoy a meal together. There is a party that is ahead of us. A kingdom party when we see Jesus and, and the family of God. All of those who are in the family of God are going to be there. And there's going to be a great feast, a great reunion. It's a world of perfect love. It's a world marked by righteousness, peace, and joy. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of to come. And so we don't have to grieve without hope over loved ones who died and are Christians. Now it's it's appropriate for us to cry and to grieve when we when 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 a loved one dies. It's fitting. Alright? But it's also fitting for us to celebrate for them. That they're they're they're, they're in a world of perfect love. They're with the Lord. They're in the presence of fullness of joy no more sickness no more sorrow no more pain and so we should be comforted by that reality because we are not those who grieve without hope we have hope of the return of Christ we have hope of the resurrection we have hope of the rapture of being caught up together we have hope of this reunion that we, with the, with the rest of the family of God, will gather together with the Lord. And so let us be encouraged by that. And now look at chapter 5 and we see, we see Paul encouraging the Thessalonians to be ready. Now, in his encouragement, he doesn't, he doesn't just urge, but he affirms. He affirms them. Notice this, and, and as I've said it last week, throughout this letter, the Apostle Paul affirms the Thessalonians, just as you are doing, just as you are doing, your faith, your hope, your love. Now, there were some that, that were, were maybe idle that needed to be urged and exhorted and admonished. There were some who were grieving in, in a way that, that maybe with, without hope because they needed to be informed about the hope of the resurrection that we have. Right? Maybe some were anxious 
through misinformation that they were anxiety, anxious and fearful and they needed to be comforted and strengthened by the hope of the gospel. Here in chapter 5 he says, But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night, or uh, not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Now, in this section in chapter four as well, he talks about sleep in the sense of death, right? Those who've fallen asleep, okay? Um, and, and that's how he describes the death of a Christian. And that's re- specifically referring to their bodies dying. Okay? Because their soul or their spirit goes to be with the Lord. But here, as he's talking about sleep in verse 6, he's talking about this unprepared spiritual state. Okay? Let us, so let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. This is what Jesus encouraged and exhorted as he spoke about the end times and his return. To be watchful, to be awake. Verse 7, for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Here's a great verse on sobriety. Let us be sober. Let us keep awake. Encourage one another to be ready. Okay? Now, I don't think this is so much about, you know, that, that we're, we're just uh, like at the window, like when a, when a burglar's trying to break in, that we, we don't get any sleep at night and we're just up all night just waiting for a burglar to break in. I don't think that's healthy. I think it's wise and healthy to lock your door. If you got an alarm, you got an alarm, and you take proper measures to secure your homes and be ready. Be ready for a burglar that can come at any time, right? You don't just stay up all night and wait for them to come, but be ready. And so he uses he uses two metaphors here. One is is that of a burglar. I like how Eugene Peterson um, paraphrases this. He says, I don't think, friends, that I need to deal with the question of when all this is going to happen. You know as well as I that the day of the Master's coming can't be posted on our calendars. He won't call ahead and make an appointment any more than a burglar would. About the time everyone's walking around complacently congratulating each other, we've sure got it made. Now we can take it easy. Suddenly everything will fall apart. It's going to come as suddenly and inescapably as birth pains to a pregnant woman. <laughs> so there's two, there's two metaphors that he uses here. He uses one of a burglar. Jesus says this as well, that, that his coming will be like... Uh, that no one will know the time or the hour. Okay? So as we read this, as we read about the end times, it's not our job to try to pinpoint the exact day and the exact hour of when Jesus is going to come back. Okay? That's futile. That's, that's absolutely futile and a poor use of our time and our energy to try to do so. 
So that's not our job. Because Jesus said no one will know the time, the day, or the hour, right? There have been people that have, that have tried to do that over the years. Harold Camping has... Uh, a, couple, a couple times he predicted the, the end of the world in the, most, in the last ten years. And he was wrong. He was wrong. Right? But, but the point is, isn't to try to pinpoint the specific day and hour as if a burglar would make an appointment of, of, of when he's going to try to break in. But the point is to be ready. To be watchful. To be alert. To live your life in that way. As you think about Jesus... Coming back, live your life in such a way that you're ready today, just like you don't want a burglar to catch you slipping. Now, I know, I know thieves, I know burglars tend to break in, you know, uh, between, you know, uh, 3 o'clock, 2, 3, 4 o'clock, while most people are sleeping. And I know this, unfortunately, from experience. Thieves aim to do that. And so they try to catch people off guard. And so let us be ready. And the other analogy that that the Apostle Paul uses is that of birth pains that come upon a woman. Now, I know this from experience as well, not because I've been pregnant or have experienced birth pains, but my wife has, and we've had four children. And I know the sudden experience of birth pains that have occurred to my wife. And here's the deal. Just, just a note for you dads who, uh, I know we got one here, uh, husbands, you, you, you just want to get everything ready, right? You get, have your bags packed, you, 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 as much as you can, you want to prepare mentally and not let that day catch you off guard. Thankfully, with, when it comes to pregnancy, God gives us some signs that there's a baby coming, you know, in the next month or so, there's a baby that's going to be coming, and so be ready. Be ready for that, mentally and spiritually and physically. Be prepared as much as you can. But nevertheless, no matter how much you are ready, it's still going, there's still going to be a suddenness to it. There's going to be an element of surprise. Like, oh, oh, here it is. Labor and delivery, here it goes. And then, you know, the heart's beating, you're all pumped up. It's like, let's, let's do this. You know, God help us. Um, and so Jesus uses these two analogies to, appoint, uh, to, to point to us being prepared for that time when he returns. I like how 1 John puts it. This is paraphrased by Eugene Peterson. He says, now children, stay with Christ. The ESV says abide in him. Stay with Christ. Live deeply in Christ. Then we will be ready for him when he appears, ready to receive him with open arms, no cause for red-faced guilt or lame excuses when he arrives. Same with Christ. Abide in him. Be prepared. So that we don't shrink back with shame. But rather have confidence at his appearing when he comes back. And so let me close with a couple points of application here. One is to immerse yourself in the gospel message drawing hope joy, and comfort for yourself and for others. The gospel is the source of encouragement and hope. And so immerse yourselves in it. Saturate your soul in the truths of the gospel. This is what the Apostle Paul was doing with these Thessalonians. He was centering them on the the basic core message of the gospel. And and, 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 and he wasn't trying to threaten them. 
He was reassuring them and he was redirecting them. And, and he affirmed their identity as children of the light, as children of the day. He affirmed their destiny. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, he said, For God has not destined us for wrath, but for salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. If you're... If you're struggling with, with fear or, or lack of confidence regarding your salvation. First Thessalonians chapter five verse nine is powerful to fight the accuser of the brethren bringing accusations to Christians. God has not destined us for wrath, but for salvation. And so Paul affirms the identity, the destiny, and, and the conduct of the Thessalonian Christians. He says, you guys are doing this. Keep doing it. Keep doing it more. And that's what encouragement does. And encouragement appeals uh, uh, to, to the gospel. It, it makes appeals from the gospel and appeals to who God has made us. It, it affirms. It informs. It inspires. So immerse yourself in the gospel. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And then intentionally think about ways to encourage one other saints. Intentionally. Let's be intentional this season, saints. To think about and consider ways we can stir up love. To stir up good works within the body of Christ. To encourage one another all the more. As we see the day approaching. Hebrews 10.24 And let us consider how to stir up love. How to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. In light of that day coming, when Jesus will return, all the more encourage one another. We need encouragement. The days will be dark, but we, we don't face them without hope. We don't face them without the light of the gospel. We face them with confidence. We face them with encouragement. We face them with courage because of the gospel. So intentionally, think about ways. Who is somebody that you can encourage today or this week? Encourage them from the Scripture. You know, um, I think this takes, oftentimes this takes us just slowing down and listening as we're in conversations. This, this can happen spontaneously in conversations, or, or you, can, you can pray about it and plan to try to encourage a brother or sister through, through a text message, through an email or just or as you're in conversation, just listening to, to their struggles, their hopes, their fears, their disappointments, their joys. And just think about ways that you can encourage them. Express love in that way. As, as you're in conversation with a brother or sister, you're thinking, how can I impart grace through my words to encourage this brother or sister? What can I say? And so... Immerse yourself in the gospel. Intentionally think about ways to encourage others. And lastly, inspire other believers to live in light 
of the gospel. This is what the Thessalonians did. Paul said in chapter 1, he said, You became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with joy of the, of the Holy Spirit, and you became an example to the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only hath the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. Inspire others. Encourage others with, uh, with your example and with your words. Words are necessary for encouragement. Right? Think about, think about the, the, the discouraged disciples on the road to Emmaus. At the end of Luke, Luke chapter 24. They're, they're, the one they thought would be the Messiah who would rescue them from their enemies died. Now he told his disciples that he was going to die and he was going to rise again. But they're walking on that road discouraged. They didn't realize that they were walking with Jesus and they're walking with the resurrected Christ. The source of hope right there before them. I wonder how many Christians are walking around with their heads down like that right now and need to be reminded of the hope of the resurrection, the hope of the return of Christ, the hope of the rapture, the hope of the reunion. I wonder how many Christians need to, to, to be infused with hope and joy that comes from believing the gospel and knowing the gospel. And so if there's any here amongst us, we, we want to encourage and we want to pray. We want to strengthen the hands that are weak, the feeble knees. Encourage the faint. So let's close in prayer. Kevin, if you'd come on up. you would just pause for a moment and, and ask the Lord how does he want you to apply this today, this week what's the Holy Spirit saying to you watching and ready our lamps full and trimmed with our lives set apart for you God may we be found faithful